Cigarettes now. His job try to claim that he too niggerish now. Is it cause his skin blacker than licorice now? I can't figure it out. Sticking it now. Uh, uh. And I heard him say, Nothing's ever promised tomorrow today. And I heard him say, Nothing's ever promised tomorrow today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Two Red Gringos. This is season four, episode seven. And as always, it's Phil Bakke, joined by Patrick Staley. Patrick, how's it going? Not too good. It's, uh, it was a late, rough night last night with uh, a lot of tequila involved. But <laughs> I'm, I'm manning up. I had I had some fish and chips to get me going. Um, and I've got my perfect pint, as we were listening to, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out the match or the uh, podcast music. But no, um, I'm bouncing back. So, uh, speaking of, I mean, let's bounce right into it. The, uh, your poison for today. And it, it may, like we joked off pod, maybe actual poison given your night last night. Um, what are we, uh, what are we rocking with? So yeah, it's, it's struggling to go down. So I was in full kind of Euro hipster snob mode. Um, I went fish and chips to help me bounce back and I've gone with the British Trooper premium British beer to uh, get me back in the mix and it's funny because when we think of like you know especially like with the EPL or Euro snobs or whatever you want to call them everything's kind of reversed right like even football itself is not a is not a sport of the of the upper classes and most of the stuff that we that we like over there it's either really shitty beer uh, or like fish and chips in a newspaper. So it's all uh, not really snobby, you know, but it is, I guess it's reversed too. Like they love Budweiser and we love Newcastle. I mean, I don't, I, I had to give that up when I found out how bad it was, but you know, here we are. Trooper, premium British ale today. Uh, I'm, I'm just picturing a, a world in which you buy a uh, soldier, American, Premium American beer for Americans. 
Like that's what <laughs> I'm just replacing American with for your British and, and it is sounding like a pretty shit beer. It even has I'll have to post this on Twitter. It even has information about the charge of the light brigade. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> From the Battle of Balakava in 1854. So yeah, wow. it's very much I'm surprised that they actually have the Union Jack flag on here because I was expecting like the St. James flag or whatever, the white and red that, <laughs> that the Brexiteers love over yeah, there. I was going to say, this is a, you're drinking Brexit straight out of the glass. Yeah, I'm supporting, I'm supporting Brexit right now. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, um, <laughs> following, following that up. Uh, so I've got, I've got a couple, couple of beers here. Um, the first one I'll I'll shout out is uh is from a brewery that I've I've had quite a few times because they're down here in Austin, Hops and Grain Brewery from right down on East Sixth. Um, but this is one of their newer beers. I say newer, like probably came out about last year. The Hayes County <coughs> Double IPA. Uh, it is not. It's not heavy. Uh, it's not overly hoppy. It's not overly malty. It's just uh, <laughs> just a just probably one of my favorite beers out of Austin right now. Um, it's just, it's crazy good. Um, and then, uh, the other beer I have, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a wedding, um, here in, in central Texas and, um, for a a good friend of mine who's also named Patrick. Um, Uh, I'm getting a little jealous now. (laughs) Um, he's, uh, he, he was, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, uh, I do have to differentiate when I talk about, uh, you know, when I'm talking to my wife and I'm like, Hey, I was talking to Patrick and, uh, I've got to differentiate which one. Um, but, uh, this, this other Patrick, uh, his, his best man, um, as the wedding favors brewed two Ooh. beers, um, for the wedding, one specifically for the specifically for the groom, and and one specifically for the bride. And so I'm I'm drinking what I'll call the the groom um, porter here. Um, it is a delicious porter. It's yet unnamed from an unnamed brewery, but uh, JJ O'Malley, uh, you did a hell of a job on this one. So here's your <laughs> shout out. Um, it's uh. Yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic job. Because um, I always get a little nervous around the uh, the homebrew types, but he knocked it out of the park on this one. Yeah, one Daniel, aka Darby Daniel Staley, also <laughs> uh, likes to dabble a little bit in the homebrews, and it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, but no, I think that's you're continuing to out hipster yourself when it comes to beer. So, you, to start with, not content with just. A regular IPA, you had to double it up double with the it. double IPA. Got to double it, and then actually the artisan homemade beer that you're now sipping on too. So, yep. um, yeah, two two very different styles, as you uh, <laughs> as, as as our listeners probably come to expect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, so with with that out of the way, I mean, last last night, are you going to be able to to shake off the the haze as a uh, as we get deeper into this. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. And <laughs> the worst part about last night was aside from the like awful, awful, like pastor tacos I had eaten. So I was like hurting the entire night and 
we had, it was this, uh, a friend of a friend that we had kind of bonded with last time. So they invited us. We felt pretty cool. They actually invited us to a party, but anyway, at the last party, I had to be sent home because I was so drunk. I was chugging tequila out of a bottle. And apparently this is now <laughs> snowballed into, I drank two bottles of tequila in 20 minutes is, is what the story was amongst this group of people. So I show up to this party. I've got like a, uh, like a bad migraine. I'm like sick to my stomach from these disgusting pastor tacos I ate. And I've got this, this reputa- reputation to keep about a man that just downed serious amounts of tequila. So they kept feeding me shots and I thought I was going to lose it all over, all over the kitchen, all over somebody else. But, um, but no, I, I, I recovered then and, uh, you know, give me 10, 15 minutes with this Brexit beer and I'll be back. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I think, uh, speaking of being back, uh, we're all ready Ooh. for, uh, this, this long, long international break to be over. I don't know what it was about this one in particular that made it seem so lengthy. Um, cause it's just the two weeks, uh, that they normally are, but this international break, um, with things the way they are in uh, in the U.S., uh, did you stop and uh, take in any international football over the break? Um, did you care enough to watch anything? You know, I found the more I work from home now, the more I look for those kind of midday opportunities to to watch a match, even if it's not LFC. But in relation to the the U.S. team game no I didn't I didn't spend a second on that but I, I really I, I try to get into the the England matches to see how the Liverpool guys are performing um, and I also caught uh, Brazil Germany uh, to hopefully get a glimpse of Firmino and as much as it pains me to admit it I still like I still like watching Coutinho but you know I'm a sucker so uh, no not 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 for the I can't even say local but our not our own national team but uh, no, the other seeing how the uh, the Liverpool lads got on uh, is normally something I try to try to tune into, seeing if they can replicate their LFC form for country. Was uh, was there a match that even caught your eye, like in terms of the in terms of the quality, or I mean, because from what I what I saw, I wasn't able to watch either of the uh, big matches, especially Brazil, Germany, I think was the one that everyone kind of had the corner of their eye on and it ended up being kind of a, uh, a stinker in terms of actual, um, quality, you know, throughout the game and, and excitement, I guess, in terms of, in, in terms of being an exciting match. Well, I think Brazil definitely had, you know, flashing back to last world cup and being haunted by what Germany did to them. I think, Brazil definitely put out a pretty strong squad. And Germany, Germany's so deep, but you know they didn't they didn't necessarily have their starting eleven, but they had a ton of quality out there. Um, now it's interesting to see because I think Brazil, in terms of their midfield, they're a lot more balanced and they've got a lot more quality than what they've had previously. So no, I mean it was it was good to watch them, but it's still it's international friendly, so you know, it's not, it doesn't have the same level of intensity that you, that we come to expect from the, uh, the club matches. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what, uh, what pushes people away. I mean, we saw with the, with the U S team, there's a lot of conversation. I didn't actually watch the game against Paraguay. Um, cause why would you, <laughs> um, but, uh, there was a lot of conversation with that due to the amount of, of young players named in the squad. And then, uh, yeah. they make all of 
two substitutions that throughout the game <laughs> in a in a friendly that you know has no bearing uh whatsoever on their uh you know future so rather than getting the kids a cap um and and giving the people something to look forward to uh they played to win uh for some reason in a in a meaningless friendly so um you got the one nothing that you'd probably expect from a team that uh really has nothing to play for at the moment um but you spoke about germany and and there's obviously a high profile liverpool player uh playing for the german national team and um coming under quite a bit of heat early on in the international break. So Emre Chan return, returns to Germany for, for international duty and immediately speaks to the papers. And the first thing published across in, in big, bold letters is, I believe in myself I can be playing for a, yeah. a big club next year. And the immediate response of Liverpool Twitter is, hashtag Emre out. Yeah. Uh, really driven, <laughs> driven by the echo. And we, what, on the last episode, we were talking about like the quality of kind of Liverpool-based journalists, and it seems like the echo maybe heard that and said like, "Hold my beer," and then they went like full in. <laughs> they with, went full with this uh, Emory out campaign. Yeah, it was they, it was gross. Uh, I and and the echo is, I mean, and the, this is a whole other separate discussion, but the the echo is getting to the point of. Uh, where I've I've stopped giving immediate credence to to stuff coming out of of uh, the Echo and and even James Pierce, who's been reliable in the past, it seems like he's it just seems like he's pushing an agenda these days, and I don't really yeah. know exactly exactly what it is. But um, it turned out once once the full comments came out uh, in in terms of a, a proper translation of of Emre's uh, response to that question. Uh, it, it turned out that people were more or less making a mountain out of a molehill um, oh, yeah. and, and twisting his words to, to mean something that he didn't say. What do you, what do you think about Emre's future? And do you think that Liverpool should be taking a hard line on, on Emre Chan um, in the sort of way that some clubs do where if he, you know, if he doesn't agree a deal, then they'll they'll let him rot on the bench or or something along those lines. Do, does Liverpool need to to make a stand with a player who's holding out for for more money or a release clause or whatever it is in Emre's Emre's case? I don't know. I think we've talked about it a lot, and, and others have too. Chan, I don't think has been his best this season, but it's back to kind of 50 50 form. So I think those talks are hampering it a little bit, but there's no like out and out, like not like he's sabotaging, but there's no just like out and out, like he's cashing, cashing it in. So he's still out there to play. He's got a world cup to think about, but for the club, I don't know. I don't think we have the luxury to necessarily take that hard line with Chan at the moment. We just, especially if we talk about Henderson, whether, whether or not he's back, just, it's so thin at, at one of the most important positions that we have in that, you know, interchanging that six role. So it, it's tough. I mean, if it, if it comes out or if something's finalized where he's, where he's off, he's leaving. I don't think Klopp will hesitate a second to kind of pull the plug and put him on the bench. I mean, he, what, when he was at Dortmund, he, 
you know, when it would, uh, when Mario's off to, uh, uh, Bayern, he, he benched him in the, uh, the, the final. So yeah. I don't think Klopp will have any reservations about doing that, but I think he's, he sees a chance committed for the time being. And to be honest, I don't know all the stuff, all the crap that came out, whether it's from the echo or whatever source, nothing really, nothing really changed. Nothing new came out there, nothing groundbreaking. So no, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to change it based on some of the stories that were put out there over the break. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, obviously, you know, Liverpool Twitter is going to be reactionary and we'll maybe get a little bit into that, uh, (laughs) as we go. Um, but the, uh, the question that 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 ends up begging is with the amount of with the amount of fans that uh are kind of taking this hard line the amount of the amount of quote unquote supporters um that are that are taking this hard line with emre um does that bring up the the problem of then what does our midfield look like without him even with with nabi Keita uh, inbound. What does our midfield look like without Emre Chan? And, and do we need to replace him if he goes, do we have, cause like you said, we, we are looking a little bit thin and we don't really have a player like Emre Chan, um, regardless of what, regardless of what you think, uh, he provides, we don't really have a player like him currently in the squad. So what does, does that mean if if Emre does go, uh, do you think we need to sign sign a a high level replacement? Yeah, I think we we need a six, and that's why I'm not too. Even if he goes, I, I've kind of seen two different sex kind of pop up on Twitter, and one where it's like you know pay pay Chan whatever he wants, like, and if you pay him, like I I think it's bolt the you know Klopp was joking about it. I think in the press conference today, mm-hmm. where he said like, oh, he asked for like two hundred fifty thousand a week, like laughing. Um, but let's let's say that that is true. I think it's bullshit. But let's say he did ask for two hundred thousand a week, and you pay him that, and it ends up like being fifty, you know, fifty million investment in that one player. I'd much rather go and spend that type of money on a player that's going to fit that six role because as good as Chan can be in his potential. Kaita is already miles above him. Kaita comes in and steals that spot or steals Genie's spot in a heartbeat. But we still, we've been saying this for <laughs> since season one, episode one. We still need like a more a more natural six, especially you know with Henderson's injury record. That that's what we need, and I think that that was, has been the position that Chan is kind of kind of taken over a little bit this season. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm not. I, I love Chan. I think he could be a great player. I think if he goes somewhere else, he'll be phenomenal for whatever club he goes to. But there there's so much like kind of so many different gears and things like inner working behind this with like the contract with wage demands with release clauses that it might just be easier. And you could go out there. It, you're going to have to spend a ton of money, but you could go out there and get a player that may fit our system a little bit better than Chan does. Is there a uh, is there a player that you look out and you say um, this this is the guy that I that I would want to to put in that six role? Um, 
Chavi Alonso from a couple years. No, I know I'm kind of putting I'm putting you on the spot, and this wasn't on the this wasn't on the agenda, but the. It's such a it's such a a tough call to make because I don't there's a difference between the way that like Chan or Hendo operates in a six for us and like more out and out defensive midfielders like who we've been linked with and Didi and who's the the Watford guy. Oh, that's uh, getting a bunch of well, Ducore Ducore. Yeah, Um that, that have kind of been linked with us recently. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know, because you have to have, like think about Chan or Henderson at their best, just being able to create from that deeper role too. But uh, I mean, I don't know. It's such maybe <laughs> Casemiro from Real Madrid, but I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, that, that would, that would require a, a bank investment, the right. likes of which we haven't seen, but no, I mean, I don't know. It's so, there, there are so few players that the ones that come to mind are just ridiculous, like just dreams that we have that, that, that aren't realistic. So I don't know. It's tough to find, to say who would be, who could operate in that role successfully. That's a realistic target that we have. I just, I just don't know. And especially one that would be an improvement on Jan or Henderson. Yeah, that and I think there a lot of the other names thrown around like uh like Jorginho from uh from Napoli or um yeah. what's his Milinkovic Savic from uh Lazio. They yeah. they throw around those those types of names but again I, I the the pressure on a on a midfielder in um in Italy is a little different I think than, than yeah. what it is in the in the Premier League. Um they have a lot more time and space. You, I mean you see it with players like Pirlo. Yeah. Um where where they can sit deep and, and dictate play and a lot of times in England they're just not afforded that kind of time. The uh, best way to sum up Italian midfielders are look at what Lucas Leiva has been doing <laughs> for, for Lazio exactly. this year. Exactly. Like that, if he was never Liverpool, we'd be looking at him and be like, oh, he'd be a, he'd fit a perfect. So it, it is tough. It's <laughs> tough to translate, I think, the Italian league, the French league to uh, to the Premier League. I, I think just Goretzka going to, to Bayern was uh, – I'm still a little bit salty about that because I think that would be – not necessarily the six, but more about that, you know, that, that Chan or when Chan or Genie are kind of playing that, maybe I'll, we'll say it like a box to box type role that, that would have been, that would have been perfect too. But yeah, I, I also think that, uh, Jorginho for, um, not is it, he would be, he wouldn't come in to be a six, but the, the creativity he has is, is pretty incredible. So, right. But that I mean, we're just throwing out names of players that are so very different right now, which kind of shows the complexity of of filling that role. And it's not on our agenda, but you know, shout out to Jordan Henderson because he's I, I mean, he's done such a good job in that role, even this season being, you know, a little bit more hampered with injury. It, it's it's not it's not it's probably the most difficult position to play on the pitch to be that successful with it. Um, especially in the premier league where you're under pressure constantly. Yeah. The, uh, so speaking of translating form from, from one league or team to another, uh, one player that's been absolutely lights out for Liverpool this year is obviously Roberto Firmino. Um, the Bobby Dazzler. He, (laughs) 
he uh, went on went on international duty with Brazil, and uh, I believe there were some comments from Tite about his him specifically, um, in that he's trying to turn his Liverpool form uh, into something productive for the Brazilian national team. But do you think that Bobby's role at Liverpool is so unique? And what he's asked to do is so unique that he almost is only good or only at his best, maybe, in that Jurgen Klopp Liverpool team. I think there's no doubt that he's at his best in in a Klopp lineup. But no, I mean, if you take a look at the form this year, I mean, just in terms of goal scoring record, assist, and those were the kind of the question marks that we had coming into the season, right? Could Firmino, you know, go from a really good player in our squad, almost not a luxury, but kind of like a cog in the system to being like, like a solid, like the point of the sphere. Right. And he's done that too. So I think just in terms of goal scoring for form, Firmino could step in in a heartbeat and be the number nine that I think Tite wants, uh, Jesus to be. Um, and he'll probably get the starting nod, but I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're obviously biased, but on, on form alone this season, um, whether it's in a, a false nine or an out-and-out out nine, I think Firmino's by, been by far the superior player. So I was surprised to see. I thought this was going to kind of be Firmino's time to really not just be the starter, but log some heavy minutes for Brazil. Um, and Tite still went with Jesus. So I think that's that, that to me kind of showed that that's, that's going to be his nine kind of moving forward into the World Cup. But but no, Firmino, I think he's he's got all the tools this year. He's one of the best goal scorers in the toughest league to play for in the world. So yeah, I don't I don't see any reason why he couldn't replicate that form for Brazil, and that's not a bad not a bad sub to have coming off the bench. It's uh, <laughs> Bobby Dazzler. Yeah, I I think uh, what what is interesting is is coming into this World Cup, uh, Brazil going in with the strength at striker that they have now. Uh, versus what they had in 2014 where Fred was still starting games um, <laughs> for whatever reason. I, I think I think uh, what's interesting about Bobby is, the, uh, and I'm taking this a little outside the box, I guess, but um, his, his uh, turning point in his career was was leaving Brazil. So as odd as that is, um I think Jesus bought was bought straight from um his club in Brazil. I don't want to say that it's the wrong one, but uh Neymar obviously playing at Santos um earned his, you know, earned his break into into Europe in Brazil. And uh in a way Firmino did as well, but he was never a big player at his club in Brazil. And he yeah. kind of went out on a limb and went to Europe and was more formed, I would say, in Germany uh, than he was in Brazil. Like he became the player that he is because of, of his formative years in Germany. And I'm not saying that Tite is biased for that reason specifically, but I think it does yeah. make Firmino's reputation in Brazil a little different because he's never been this this type of player and was never viewed as as this kind of star um when he was in brazil there are a lot of players rated you know far above him and and so the fact that he's made a name for himself in germany and england i think as strange as as it is he he didn't follow the traditional route of being a big play, a big player in the you know brazil 
and kind of earning that reputation there at, before moving to Europe and, and doing, doing, uh, uh, you know, moving on to, to bigger clubs. So I'm, I'm not saying that he's, that he's, uh, got a, you know, that he's trying to break into the team because Tite doesn't like players who didn't play, you know, longer in Brazil or anything like that. But I think the way he's viewed by Brazilians is probably a little bit different than those that came up through the system a little more traditionally and then got their big money move to Europe and and went on. So his, uh, his stock, I think, uh, is still viewed with some skepticism by the rest of Brazil. Um, I think I have to I have to give credit, um, and I, I called it the tweet of the year. I don't think this is premature either. Uh, but in the game against Germany, you had a you had a tweet, and for those listening, if you haven't seen this, you need to go back and retweet it right now. Scroll down at Gringo CDMX timeline. <laughs> And uh, and and uh, find the tweet <laughs> that reads, "Oh Jesus!" I think is how you started it. Firmino would have scored that twice without looking once, and uh, <laughs> just absolutely brilliant. I I couldn't handle it. I was I was uh, <laughs> I was I was sad that I didn't come up with it. It's one of those <laughs> sheer brilliance. So uh, I liked it. I I let it off with just Jesus, but it was supposed to be like. Like you're saying Jesus, like Jesus, like I can't believe you missed that, you know, right. but that's, that, that's, that's the pun. So maybe it's not that good if I have to explain it, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think th- that's actually a, a really good point about maybe potential bias within Brazil, because I don't know. I think the Brazil, the Brazil team right now, there are still so many question marks going into the world cup in terms of like, what level can they reach? Um, maybe similar to France too where they've got unbelievable talent, but still still a little bit unproven or maybe had a little bit of heartbreak before. But one of my favorite people, I'll give a shout out to, it's at Brazil Stat. So it's a guy who tweets all things uh, about the Brazilian team and players. Just really good in terms of, you know, not like ITK information, but just good like on the ground information about the, you know, the Brazil national team, about the players. Uh, but also just really good takes and opinions on him too. So we should uh, we should try to get him involved and maybe send him a couple tweets after uh, after we wrap up the pod to see if he thinks there's any bias, any Brazilian bias between the uh, the Jesus and the Firmino nine debate. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. He he probably would give us. It, it is a brilliant account if you don't if you don't follow it already. Um, and, and it is one of those that just gives the the ground truth, like you said. Um, but there are plenty of accounts out there that during the international break are not so grounded and not so, (laughs) not so, uh, well put together in the, in the information or the ideas that they spout. Um, this is, this is your, your contribution, (laughs) but I'll, but I'll toss it to you to, to, to engage first. So is Liverpool Twitter as we, as we've so often uh, criticized it. Is it worse than normal when the the inevitable boredom of the international break hits? Yes. <laughs> the, all right. So I told you about the Brexit beer I'm drinking, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read what's on the back of this bottle, just because I think it is how LFC Twitter responds to our players being sent out 
during international break. So the Charge of the Light Brigade, inspired Iron Maiden song The Trooper, took place on Battle of Balakava, 1854, during the Crimean War, when 600 British cavalry courageously charged the massive Russian artillery. The gallant but foolhardy assault resulted in massive loss of life. And every time that we have... Every time that we've got an international break, that is LFC Twitter's response to <laughs> our players uh, even logging like a single minute. Like Salah was rested in one of the games and it was like it was like we had won a trophy or something whenever <laughs> whenever Salah was rested for an entire game. There and I don't know. I mean, we're not on like Arsenal Twitter, United City, Tottenham Twitter to maybe know like do they have the same like excruciating fear? every time their players go into like an international break or are we cursed more than others? I mean, Gomez picked up a knock, but it, is there something that I've missed where our players are coming back just like, like they're coming back from war, like <laughs> nursing their wounds after the international break? I don't know. It's just so, it's so like just cringe inducing when all like so many accounts, like, you know, the, you know, the idiot, the masses out there on LSC Twitter will do it. But even like large accounts are like, you know, butt cheeks clenched anytime that we go into the international break because they're also terrified that somebody's going to get injured. So I know that's another that's another task for us. We got to check in with other clubs to see if they have this, I don't know, rational or irrational fear, whatever it is about these international breaks and players getting injured. Yeah, I, I think basically this boredom brings out the worst in, in most people uh, when they're not engaged in whatever their, you know, whatever type of content they're supposed to be, you know, providing. <laughs> um, however, you want to approach it, but but all of these big Liverpool accounts, like uh, there's a there's a a, a great comedian uh, who I've actually just bought tickets to see in Austin when he comes through in April. Um, by the name of Mike Berbiglia, um, who has a joke that centers around uh, the fact that in a certain social situation, he says, what I should have said was nothing. And so that's really, I think, where Liverpool Twitter needs to, to find itself, is if, if you don't have anything going on and you don't have anything to say, don't sit there and try to think of the worst thing that you can possibly say. Cause it seems like that's <laughs> what everyone does uh, is what, what can I say that will just be the worst possible thing? Um, and so just what you should say is nothing. Like, I mean, we've been, I think relatively quiet during the international break and it's because Liverpool isn't playing. I'm, I have no obligation to continue to talk. Um, so if I say something, I'll say something, but I'm not going to sit here and come up with nonsense uh, yeah. to say during the international break. I'm just going to let everyone wallow in their boredom uh, like the rest of us. <laughs> I Still, too, I blame the Echo. I blame the Echo for just fueling all of this, all of this garbage. Mm -hmm. And But no, I mean... What else? What else is Twitter there for if not to make us miserable during lulls and lulls and news worry <laughs> stories? So no, but it's it it it's just bad. Like if you're that concerned about it, I mean every every club every club is sending their top players out there. So you know it's it's like anything else. So just keep your trap shut, Twitter. Well, you said you said to make us miserable, and this weekend. <laughs> 
Liverpool play Crystal Palace, who are managed by a man who was about as good at making us miserable as any that has ever lived as I transition away from the international break and into the fact that Liverpool are facing down Roy Hodgson and his merry gang of (laughs) of, of eagles uh, in South London at Selhurst Park. I'm more worried about Sako coming back. Is Sako fit and healthy? Is he featuring? (laughs) Uh, I'm worried he's going to like just devastate us and then do some handshake with Benteke and everybody will be horrified by it. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Sako is, is fit right now. Um, I, I actually, I mean, that's probably something I should have researched, uh, for this pod, but our, uh, research intern is, is, uh, on vacation. So, um, sadly that, that didn't get looked up. Um, <laughs> But so we have we have the return a couple of there's a few storylines here um, the dreaded narratives um, that we that we often are on the suffering end of um, Charlie Adam or Peter Crouch or in John this Joe case, Shelby or John Joe Shelby scoring <laughs> scoring goals uh, in this case we've got <laughs> Ben Teke and Sako both on the on the other side wearing wearing the red and blue of Palace um but i i was i was contemplating putting together a what i call the retrospective uh into into Roy Hodgson's reign at Liverpool um all 31 matches that he took charge of um and 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 that is right 31 um I know it seems like much, much longer to those who, (laughs) to those who watch during it, but torturous, torturous time as I, well, I would say, so this is about the time when Roy Hodgson was in charge. This is about the time that, that you started following Liverpool. Yeah. Those are the, my, some of my early days when I finally, we had like tagged along, we were watching the matches and then that season Hodgson was appointed that was when I kind of went all in with my chips and said, all right, this is, I, I can get into this club. So, and I, I, I mean, what you, at least you guys had seen, you know, greener grass, you know, prettier shores like previously, but th- this is, this is all, all I've known. So the Hodgson era was my introduction to a Liverpool fan. And I, I mean, I, we don't, we don't, when you said that, like, should we put together some frauds? I was like, no, we, we don't need to give this guy any more time than we need to. He's a cockroach. He never goes away. He always peeks his head up, whether it's in Sweden or Switzerland or Italy or England, he's always going to be there like lurking and just, you know, for him to manage palace. Great. Hopefully, hopefully they get relegated. And that's, that's another notch on a Hodgson belt, but no, that was a, it was a bad time to to come <laughs> on and be a Liverpool supporter. So, uh, but I mean, that just was, it makes you really appreciate even some of the form we had when, when Doug Leach took over after him, uh, didn't last obviously, but, but then what we were able to see in 13, 14 under Rogers and what we've seen with Klopp, it's <laughs> where I almost feel spoiled now, right? Because you, you it, it's come such a long way and, you know, whatever success Hodgson has had in his career, it's 
it's old. It's outdated. We saw that with England. We see that with Palace. We see that um, even uh, who's his counterpart over at, at Everton? Big Why Sam. Big Sam, right? It's just this big sham, as we yeah. This merry-go-round. They they're all sitting around right now. And them and Alan Pardew are drinking the exact same beer, this trooper beer that I'm drinking right now, <laughs> and it. <laughs> they're all ass backwards, um, and of course, in saying that, you know, Palace is going to find a way to garner some kind of result tomorrow uh, and horrify all of us. No, I. Uh, so I I think I think it is interesting. Yo, you mentioning. I mean, if that is where you started, then obviously now looking back, uh, it's it's easy to easier to see how how much Liverpool has progressed um, in the last in the last about ten years um, or going on ten years. the uh, the The point when when Roy Hodgson was appointed to Liverpool was was one of the the lower points because. I, with me starting starting watching in the in the mid two thousands, um, we were coming off of the you know thrashing of Madrid in the in the Champions League of oh eight oh nine and the the title challenge and a couple of tough campaigns after that and the whole Hicks and Gillette nonsense. When it culminated with, hey, the guy that took Fulham to the Europa League final, that's probably the guy. <laughs> That's the guy uh, to take over one of the biggest clubs in in, in England. Um, I think everybody felt what a what a mistake that was, and yeah, it's just he's he's been outed from there. His his time with Fulham being the last time that he was truly s- successful with a with a with a club at all. Yeah, um, I mean, at his time at Inter, I'm sure Inter fans are like burning him in effigy even to this day. <laughs> so, um, the, I mean, the bottom line is you, like you said, we, we, I think we spoke almost to a, a larger problem among English managers now that the same guys are getting recycled among the bottom feeders of, of the premier league. And you're going to continue to see the Hodgson's and parties and Allardyce's and Hughes's and, uh well now Paul Clement has now joined this merry-go-round and <laughs> yeah, basically if you get in the club you can you can keep keep doing the uh yeah the you're dance. a member for life yeah so well, one thing that talking about this you know kind of horrifying trip down memory lane <laughs> of like Hodgson and Hicks and Gillette kind of that's what is still so fresh in my mind regarding like relating it to Chan and like contract talks and people saying, you know, throw money at him. It's not our money. Wages can have such a crippling effect on the club that that that's been part of that whole thing with, with Chan for me is that you can't, you can't systematically change one of the, the, the biggest like financial aspects of the club, because I mean, other, other clubs went through it. Like the wage structure changed. I think, Maybe it was West Brom or uh, like Pulis came in and, and did that. And now, if how close were we to under Hobson to getting getting into relegation? And he said, "Oh, it's you know not above a Liverpool club." So, I mean, those are the things that you have to as a fan. One of, one of my favorite accounts, like the Show Me the Money guy, um, mm-hmm. who posts the the streams and all that. Yeah. Really great, really great account. Is said, you know, he kind of called people accountants for worrying about money and. You know, this is what the the pro MLSers are always saying. Like, you know, clubs are clubs aren't safe. They're they're 
that's their thing is that, you know, once you're in that top tier, you stay there. But it, it's not like that. You know, one one thing happens and if you don't have the right kind of structures in place. So I think as fans, we have to be concerned about that. And Hodgson, a trip to, to face Hodgson's team this season and all that's going on with Chan kind of, you know, it, it doesn't settle well because it's they can have such a big kind of impact on the club. So it's good that we've <laughs> emerged from so many of those things in the past, but I'd hate to see us kind of fall back into that, um, even if it's just like wage structures or anything like that with Chan. But no, it, I mean, just even bringing up Hodgson's name itself uh, is causing us to go down a depressing <laughs> negative road, too. So let, let's get off Hodgson. Let's yeah. get <laughs> No, and it, it, I, I think it, remembering those days it is all that it takes for me to remember when the, the FSG out crowd comes comes a calling. It's God. FSG hit really in the end, I mean, saved Liverpool from administration uh, because of their deaths, which would have certainly uh, led to a, a relegation and potentially endangered the, the existence of the club, which is, you know, just unthinkable to most, to most Liverpool fans and, and rightly so for a club of, of that stature. Um, and so FSG being very, um, being true custodians of, of the club and, and taking care of, of the books and making sure that the club will never be in danger of that type of situation. Again, I, I think we, we have to remember that when they're not willing to splash out, um, you know, the absurd money that we think they should be throwing around based on, you know, the riches of, of the Henry Pizzutis. Um, <laughs> but, um, but moving, moving on to, to the actual football on, on display tomorrow, um, there's a there's a lot I think in our in our starting eleven to to discuss. We haven't we haven't talked since before the match against Watford. But the uh, the one thing the one the one big potential change with with Joe Gomez hurt, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold obviously still still young still be, being fully blooded into the squad. We've got a potential return at right back in this situation for one Nathaniel Klein mm. who's been hurt for the entire season up to this point. Yep. Um, do you think that, that this match at Selhurst park is, is kind of a, a good opportunity to get Klein back into the first team after a couple of uh, under 23 matches? We, ha- I think we have to, if you, especially now with the injury to Gomez and, we we kind of called for it the after United and Trent's performance. You know, Trent didn't have a great performance, um, and even I was saying like, you know, if Klein can come back, if he can perform against Palace, put him in, I'd be much more reassured with him at City. But I don't know. I saw I can't remember who it was, but I saw a, a, somebody post on Twitter. It was about, you know, are we really just gonna hang Trent out to dry? Right? Didn't perform necessarily against United, so do we scrap him? against city. And I, I thought about that and it kind of rung true. Like, like yeah, you, Trent had a, had a poor, poor match against United, but if that's the way that we want to go, I, I'm starting to get more in line with, I don't know. Do we roll the dice with Trent against city? I think e- either way you put Klein in against uh, palace just to kind of get his fitness level up there and, and, and make it, make it a contest between him and Trent. But I don't, I don't know. I kind of want to, now I'm back on kind of 
sticking with Trent to let him to let him fix whatever mistakes he's made. Um, because I think that would ultimately be best, not just for him, but position wise at the club, because as much as I love Klein and think he can be is, you know, has been our one kind of defensive rock over the past few seasons when we've had no defensive stability whatsoever. Trent is obviously, you know, his upside, he's kind of the future, whether that's, I I think it's going to be a right back. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen any indicator that he's going to be joining the midfield anytime soon. So I don't know. I'm, I'm back and kind of putting my faith in Trent. Um, although it's, it's a risky move given the, given what's at stake and just the firepower that city has. But I think you've got to put Klein in the 11 versus palace to, to make, like I said, to make it a contest um, and to give to give Klopp that option of going with uh, whether it's sticking with Trent or if Klein comes in, doesn't make any mistakes, looks, you know, match ready uh, at this level. Um, and it's a good one, too, because I think he'll be if uh, Zaha's fit and ready to go. I think there's some doubts about him. It, Palace is not a good team, but they do. They've got they've got a couple pieces that can be dangerous, too. Um, so, so speaking of defense, hopefully we see Mata matching up against Benteke and not Leverin because that was a, a catastrophe against United. But uh, no, hopefully we've we've settled that debate. But I think the Klein, the Klein and Trent debate is is going to be one that'll really kick off, especially if he features versus Palace. Yeah, I think uh, the center back pairing has to be has to be Mata Van Dyke, uh, given what we've seen. Um. However, I, I I will say that I think, and I think we talked about it the last time that, the last episode we we talked about how I our best defensive back four is almost certainly Robertson, Van Dyke, Matip, and Klein. Uh, yeah. In terms of defensive stability, so if Klein can show against Palace. Uh, that he, you know, if he shuts Zaha down, um, one of the probably, you know, one of the players that's often referred to as, as you know, the best player outside of the, outside of the the top six. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, I, you know, I, I I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence to disagree with that. I, he's been he's been fantastic this season on a team that is just absolute garbage. Um, but I think the. You know, if Klein is able to to shut him down, I think you have to look at the at least the idea of matching Klein up with Sane in a in a knockout competition where neutralizing one of their you know major threats is going to be is yeah. going to be one of the the biggest uh, the biggest tasks that we have over two legs. And it's, I mean, we genuinely are viewing the Champions League now. I think as our our one shot at at a trophy this year. Um, it's not something that we ever would have dreamed of, uh, as we lined mm-hmm. up for a, a playoff against Hoffenheim. Um, but now that, now that we, you know, easily saw our way through the group stage and, and just out thrashed Porto. Um, I think everyone is kind of seeing, okay, we've made it to the quarterfinals and if we can get past city, then we can pretty much beat anybody. There's no, yeah. there's no real, big obstacle. So I think, I think the, the dilemma for Klopp then becomes, um, you know, is, is the return of Klein, um, going to be enough 
uh, to get him into a regular starting spot in in that Champions League squad. And and I think this game is kind of that proving ground for yeah. If Klein has a has a you know. Uh, it's hard for a right back to have a man of the match performance in a squad that has, you know, Salamane and Firmino up top. But if he, if he has a, a top class performance against, against a, a winger of the, of the class of Zaha, um, I think Klopp has to think about using Klein in, in the champions league as well. Um, it, it is, it, I mean, it'll be harsh on Trent. I think if, if that is what happens, um, but in my in my head, uh, Robertson and Klein at, at the fullback positions gives us the best chance of winning any any two leg tie. Yeah, especially uh, against City too. Exactly. Like if we're typically against Palace, you may say like teams that may sit back and try to hit us on the counter. That's where you want somebody like Trent in place to be a little bit more aggressive offensively. But if it was just, you know, if let's say Klein and Trent have been, it's been like Klein takes a place of Gomez. Let's just say he's been healthy all year and and kind of have that that debate that's been going on between them. I think the vast majority of rational people would say put Klein in there because it's going to give us defensive stability against just this offensive juggernaut that is City. So I don't I, I think it's all just a little bit risky you know, either to play Trent and say let you know, let him find his feet and probably the biggest match of the season. <clears throat> but then also with Klein, it's, you know, if, if he even features for palace, like, is that enough to, to get him ready for, you know, a few days away, then say, go, all right, now go out there and stop, you know, one of the best uh, left wings in the, in the league with Sane too. So it's, it, it, it's it's risky either way too, but um, no, I I'm a little bit more. I felt a little bit bad uh, with with the ridicule that we gave, not ridicule, but uh, the stick that we gave Trent. So I'm I'm more I'm more okay with him getting out there and trying to show that he's that he's the player that we're all hyping him up to be because he's done exactly that so far. So hopefully it just continues. So. Uh... The other battle that's that's going to be big, especially in the in the Champions League, uh, as we look ahead to City, but but a battle that I think we can easily win against Palace is is in the midfield, um, and the the player who I would say has been even more, uh, I would say there's been even more disparate. Uh, comments about this player in this season than than in past, which um, is is Jordan Henderson. So we've we've seen more of a variation of, I would say, people who don't rate him at all versus people who think that he's you know should be in the team every week. Um, these last couple of weeks, I think Henderson's displayed a little bit more of what we saw last season and and the the player that kind of had us dropping those episodes of, of uh, those uh, what we would call fuck the haters episodes <laughs> um, for really originated for Jordan, with Jordan Henderson yeah. for Jordan Henderson. Uh, so have these last few appearances for, for Hendo shown you that he's back or is this uh, is this another player that has to kind of prove 
uh, you know, still that he that he's back to his top form. Uh, it doesn't matter what Henderson does; he's always going to have something to prove to to one section of LFC Twitter. But no, I think he's he's been in terms of that role, he's the best one that's currently suited for it, and he's got he's still you know he's he struggled with injury. He looked a little bit shaky. Was it was it Wofford or before where they began to kind of press him and those old kind of you know people started chiming in again about Henderson looks bad whenever he gets pressed or anything like that. I don't know, um, but he's still he's still not at his sharpest. But I think that's the best fit for us in that in that role. Um, so yeah, as long as he's from what Klopp said, kind of talking him up and talking up his captaincy in the uh, press press conference. I'm assuming he's healthy and he's good to go for for Palace. Yeah, that's what I I think. I think uh, well, I think back to the game at Selhurst Park last season uh, and the assist in particular that he provided for Roberto Firmino uh, to put him through on goal for that just yeah absurd chip of Mandanda <laughs> as he wheeled away and, and pulled the shirt off. Probably one of my favorite goals of last season in a, in a season where they scored plenty, you know, not as many as this season, obviously, but um, the shirt went off before the goal, was before the goal was scored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which a bunch of, uh, which a bunch of nerds wanted to go back and review, you know, this is why VAR would, would help because that goal should have been ruled out. And if any goal is ever ruled out for a guy taking his shirt off because it's so he's so he's, you know, destroyed the defense to the point of the ball hasn't even gone in yet. And he's already celebrating. That's uh, that's the type of goal that I want to see scored. Um, It's almost to the to the point of did you see this is completely going off topic, but did you see the uh, it was a retweet? I I believe our our uh, our good friend Stan White. retweeted a, a tweet from it was a non-league game um and i i saw the video and it was maddening to the point of just absolute absurdity um but he retweeted this video where a a non-league winger uh had had made a run in behind he uh the ball is chipped out of midfield he receives it chests it down and unbelievably just volleys it into the top corner swerving volley unbelievable strike and the assistance flag is raised for offside and (laughs) it flies in and as soon as he sees the flag he's just hands on head and i said that that assistant referee should be banned for life (laughs) um because it was an absolute worldie and it's just there's no reason to to raise the flag on that one but yeah um with that, with all that being said, <laughs> completely off topic. Um, I never off topic to discuss Galasso. So, but I think, I think the that type of that type of performance could could come from Henderson again, and with the amount of weapons and the the problems that Palace have had in in midfield and and in defense, honestly, with. Uh, the injuries to Sacco and and some of the injuries they've they've had in midfield. I think I think Henderson could boss this game completely, um, because I don't think that he's going to feel the amount of pressure. As long as Benteke is playing, 
he's not going to press. Yeah, he's not going to get pressed at all. No, and that's what I, we know that from his time at Liverpool that he's not <laughs> he's not going to press. Um, so so I think I think Henderson could could do some absolute damage against against Palace. Um, I think uh, his his performance in in the Champions League will be more down to the work he can do on tracking De Bruyne and and pressuring De Bruyne. Um, so, that terrifies me, but but the amount that we I, <laughs> I think I think what we I think what we see is the amount that we ask Henderson to do. Um, we ask yeah. him to be the six, we a- to be the Lucas, to be the destroyer, and we ask him to be the uh, a deep line playmaker as well. Um, and so we, I I think that that kind of revelation of, hey, maybe. You know, it, if if Henderson isn't isn't the best defensive midfielder, he's not you know the he's not a Pirlo and he's not a he's not a Mascherano, um, but we kind of ask him to be both of those things. Yeah. So he's he's a good like he's a he's a box to box player, but he's been he's been in that six role and he's taken it on and he's he's made it his own. But I would actually love to see. If, you know, Kaita comes in and let's say he picks up kind of Genie's role in that left central midfield. Um, if we can, again, going back to that's why it's so tough for us to say, like, who could we bring in to fill Chan's role or to fill that six role? Um, because I would love to see Hendo get a little bit more freedom to to create, you know, because that I think that's when he's at his most dangerous. And not that we want him like out out on the wing, but we we joke about it all the time about a good Hendo cross, but he like he is dangerous. Like he has he has stepped up like in the absence of Gerard. I think he has stepped up in Chan too, and just being able to create from just such long distances, being able to kind of free flow throughout the midfield and you know create for other players too. So I think with Chan, I'm guessing Chan may be out of the lineup versus Palace if he's if he's nursing a back injury. So I wouldn't be surprised right. to see. Uh, a genie hendo uh ox midfield and genie and ox are, are going to create their own well ox won't create at all but uh <laughs> or, i'm sorry no, genie won't create at all ox, you know ox can create off the dribble and, and attacking at the defense but i think it puts more it, it it puts a little bit of pressure on henderson to say you've got to kind of step up and create from that deeper playmaking role um so i'm excited to see how he if you know assuming he's he's fully fit which i think he is um, to come in and, and hopefully operate and play, break the the lines that Palace are sure to set up against us. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think so. You you mentioned you mentioned Ox and Genie in midfield, and and with with Hendo not fit, it is likely that we see them both. So often we we see the question of you know one or the other, um, more or less. I I I know even in my manager career on FIFA, I'm more or less making the decision between, am I starting Vinaldum in that, in that kind of freer <laughs> midfield role or, or am I starting uh, Ox? And I think with both of them that, like you said, it is, it is a, uh, it, we have tended to go this way in, in more uh, attacking opportunity or more, you know, games where we're not so focused on, on defending because we know we're going to have probably the majority of the ball. We need those creative players. Um, 
I think the question now lies with can because Ox can be a very aggressive force. I think he can be a very positive force in the lineup. So um, he always pushes forward. He always he's always creating. I, I would say creating opportunities, not necessarily creating chances. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's, op- he's opening up uh, play a little bit. I think the question now for for Vinaldum is can he be that guy who we came to know last year who was getting involved in the attack um in the way that that Ox has kind of kind of made himself a problem for defenses. Do you think Vinaldum has just I mean I think we've talked about this before but has he been just asked to be more of a a chan? more of a Chan and less of a, less of a, you know, genie from last year. I think he's been, it, it seems like he's just kind of been neutered. Like I was, <laughs> I was looking, I was just kind of looking at genie stats, like goals and assists uh, from the season for Newcastle. You know, he was, he was potent on offense, even last season for us. Although I, I still think we said the same things and that goal and assist tally was, was flattering for him, but he's just been kind of, him against a team like City, where we need to control space in the midfield. But how do you how do you capture that? You know that that's Genie's one, not one. That's that's probably his biggest downside is that it's tough to really. He's really it's almost like an eye test, right? We we slate it so often that you know it needs to, you know you need to back it up with 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 stats or whatever else. But with Genie, it's hard to do that because he severely lacks in touches. He doesn't create a lot of chances, but I think we're a good team whenever he's in the lineup. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, uh, as a Simon Brundish always tweets, I think Genie's got, maybe I'm mixing up with another player, but one of the highest average points per game is when Genie's in the lineup. So it's, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, all just correlation without causation, but I, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but no, I think right now, I, the only who's the only other option we have in midfield if Chan's if Chan's out. Well, that was I'm going to make you say it. That was going to be my next my next question <laughs> is I want you to say his name. If <laughs> if it is you know Oxlade Chamberlain, Genie, and Hendo in midfield is does that basically put the nail in the coffin for one Adam Lallana? If you were nailing up that coffin, he'd be six feet under a long, <laughs> a long time ago. But no, Lalana. I mean, Lalana is sort of. It, I would say, if anything, he's kind of. Even though I think Ox is the player in the position that would maybe interchange with him the most, he's sort of like Genie, where he's not wrapping or you know racking up goals and assists, but he does. Whereas Ox can kind of control the midfield and space. Um, I think Lalana is a little bit more creative and, you know, for all his jokes about his Cruyff terms and all that, um, he does have talent, but he's not, he's not the player that everybody makes him out to be. Um, I've got no problem with him being a squad or a bench player, but still, even in that role that he's played this season, I know it's been, uh, definitely one kind of marred by injury, but I'm still not seeing enough from him, you know, and maybe that's kind of, hypocritical to praise to praise Wijnaldum and, and slate Lalana for it, but 
I mean, I don't, I just don't know. I think maybe that's some of our own bias coming into that, but Milan has never been that player for us. So I'm, I mean, I don't know. I think what, whatever he operates net now between the rest of the season, if he can be an impact bench player, that's what will be moving forward. Because if anything, we're talking about upgrading on, you know, bringing Kaita, upgrading on Chan, upgrading on Henderson. Lalana's towards the back of <laughs> the back of that depth chart right now. He's behind just about everybody, most of our regular midfields. So I, I'd even put him behind Milner now. I think Milner's made a much greater impact in the games that he's played too. So I don't know if it's not, if it's not uh, both Ox and Genie, then I think Milner steps up. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see it. I think Lalana may be comfortable with maybe being that role, maybe being that kind of depth depth option. But I think he's, we we've known this for a while. He's far from what we need. If we want to be challenging, challenging for silverware across different competitions. Yeah. I, I- I mean, I think we saw the pinnacle of what Lolana is capable of uh, last season. Uh, when, when I, you know, I, it even got to the point where I went on record and said I was wrong about Adam Lolana. And, and <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Ox right now is the inform version of Lolana. Like, what he can provide is is the best of what Lolana can provide. Yeah. Um I I really don't I really don't see uh the level of quality from Lolana that that needs to be present if you want to be an everyday starter in this team and I mean the competition is only going to get worse when like you said Nabi Kaita comes in and and then I mean even even now the top assists provider in the champions league james milner um <laughs> is uh is he's in great form and i actually i have to i have to tell on myself a little bit tattle on myself um i saw a tweet from a couple of years ago that uh was more or less to the effect that james milner uh wants to play central midfield for for liverpool and uh you know, that doesn't mean that just because he wants to play for central <laughs> midfield doesn't mean he should. And uh, I stand corrected. He's been absolutely fantastic in central midfield this year, um, almost without exception uh, across his performances. So, James, I apologize. Um, <laughs> and he's on both Twitter and Instagram now, too. He so. is, yeah. He's he's with the times, boring Milner, not so boring <laughs> anymore. Um in uh, in completely unrelated news, I've also gotten a notification that Chris Bryant has hit his first home run of the season, and the Cubs lead the Marlins one nothing in the top of oh, the third. Yeah, I just got that. <laughs> um, so the, one of people, the people are just going to have to deal with the two red gringos talking about the Cubs for at least at least a little bit of time every now and then too. Yeah. So if you've made it this far. Then you already know. So. Yeah, you're you're in it to win it by this point, and <laughs> and you've probably already seen. But uh, Ian Happ starting off the Cubs season with a home run on the very first pitch of the season, uh, just could not season. could not get us in a better mood uh, for for baseball. Um, but we talk about so Chris Bryant hitting home runs. Um, I think segues nicely into the most exciting player for Liverpool right now and, and a player that we'd be remiss to talk about. 
um, Mohamed Salah, he scores four against Watford before the international break, goes on the international break and scores a goal against Portugal um, because scoring is what he does right now. But <laughs> but I think I what I wanted to talk about specifically is we know Mohamed Salah is a brilliant player. We know he's he gets into dangerous positions. And uh, one of the stats I saw is that he has one of the highest uh, – one of the highest stats of of missed big chances, uh, which makes his yeah. goal scored even even more remarkable. Um, <laughs> but what everybody has tried to explain his goal tally away with is that he's playing as a striker for Jurgen Klopp, and uh, there was quite a bit of of talk about how that's just not true. So Mohamed Salah, the winger sitting at 28 Premier League goals this season. <laughs> uh, what is it, I guess, about about this player and this team that makes that that combination so, so potent uh, in his first season for the club? I, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and to, like, because you can't, even when he hit like 10 goals for the season, like he was at 12, he was at 14 so quickly, and I was like, if he doesn't score again this season, it's been a successful it's been a successful first season because I mean somebody else was talking about Azar and how they said he's kind of overrated because you know he's never kind of cracked even close even close to this mark because wingers you have to it's kind of like that six role right you have to do a lot of different things you've got to score you've got to create you've got to assist. And Salah's been not just goals, but with assists, too. We talked about the four against Wofford. He also picked up another assist in that match. But what makes him so dangerous is that, and this will kind of, I think, lead us into, if we're talking about Sadio and his kind of flexibility with his position, is that he just, he gets in such dangerous positions. And that's why I think that comes up about him being, you know, playing as, uh, operating as a striker. When he's not, he's, I mean, look at, the vast majority of like heat maps, touch maps, pass maps, it just shows his positioning is just right where that right wing should be. But as, as good of a goal scorer that he is, just his, I mean, we know about his pace, we know about his control with the ball, but his his ability to get in goal scoring positions, I think it was the fourth goal against Wofford. So he's he's everything. He's a winger, he's a striker, he's a poacher, because he's just... He's just so aware of everything, I think, everything that's been going on this season. And I think he's got the perfect complement in Firmino, uh, same as Mane, too, and what Mane has been doing lately. But no, I mean, it's it, we, we can praise all of his stats that he's shown, but nobody, that, that poor journalist who called him the next Quadrado or whatever. <laughs> I mean, at the she start will never of the live season, it down, like, yeah. I mean that, yeah, that was kind of it was ridiculous because Salah has proved it over the past couple of seasons, like what he's capable of. But no, this level nobody saw coming, and I think what makes it all the better is just when you see like that. What did they roll out? Was it Wednesday? Like him, like busting through the poster with a smile on his face. Oh yeah, it's Absolutely just such great. the Salah story is just such a good story. Like carrying the Egypt squad just blowing everybody out of the water in terms of their expectations for this year. And he's doing it in a position that, I mean, I don't, I mean, you have to roll it back to we're comparing him to Ronaldo's season for United. You have to roll it back to that point too, to see 
to see a, a winger, a player that operated in a wide position, have such an impact. And so that's why, I mean, I, I think I tweeted this a couple of seasons ago, where it's, it's not even a joke anymore to relate him to Ronaldo, to relate it to Messi. Because what the, the level of influence that he's had this season is is just is as high or higher than anybody, you know, in terms of just goal scored, assists, percentage of team goals scored too. So it it, it kind of makes you stop and think too, because nobody we don't really see ourselves as a one as a one person team. But Salah has such a huge chunk of our goals and assists. Um and kind of leading that into Mane, I think some of that has come at the expense of Mane, but Mane's still having a brilliant, a brilliant season too. It's just Salah is just doing things that nobody really expected coming in. I, I, I think when you look at it, you can kind of look at his at Salah's goals against Watford as kind of a summary of his season almost. So, yeah, the the first one is he puts a defender on his backside completely just with a simple bit of skill that, that rounded up a a few of the goals that he, that he's finished this season and, and, uh, you know, he finishes, finishes it fairly simply with his, with his right foot. The second, um, is off a brilliant cross from Robertson, which I think we've been seeing this. We've been seeing it this whole season, um, but it's been a lot of times. A lot of times, Robertson is uh, denied, you know, due to to one thing or another. But he put it on an absolute plate. So, and that's Salah being in, you know, the right place at the right time. The third is is the messy comparison, right? Like the <laughs> the goal that just shouldn't he shouldn't have been able to score, um, but he is. Um, and then, and then the fourth is actually more of a demonstration of his ability to create because the pass that he provided for Ings was perfect. And Ings was very unlucky not to score because his shot was good and, and it just fell yeah. to the feet of, of Salah. And it's, again, the right place at the right time. But really, that could have easily been a hat trick and two assists um, you know, with an Ings goal, which I wouldn't have been upset to see to see Danny yeah, not a, get on not a the, bad day. <laughs> to get on the short score sheet but but that's I think I think that's really kind of summed up the season is that he's he's been both creative and and uh and deadly from the positions that he finds himself in and um he drifts in from that wide area into into positions where he can score from and and he's also benefited from the the fact that whether he's shaping up with that left foot or finishing with his right, in this case, he can score from those tight angles as well. Um, so I think, I think as much as he is the winger, and as we talk about the other two attackers, um, the shape of Liverpool in attack uh, is dynamic based on what what kind of defense they're facing. So as we move on from Mo Salah, who's been just absolutely brilliant, we move on to a, a player who's got just it, a completely unfair level of criticism uh, <laughs> <laughs> up to this point in Sadio Mane. And uh, now I will say that someone on your timeline completely went the other way uh, <laughs> with that as, as he said that Sadio Mane is, is a more important 
and more better, complete. Play, more complete. Yeah, player. He basically than, said Mane is better than Salah. Yeah, Mane Mane is a better player, which yeah. I mean, uh, completely up for debate. But but, but Sadio Mane not, in it's not it's not up for debate. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> <laughs> like I, like I love because we love Mane. I got the Mane kit somewhere in my in my case over here. But it, it no, I mean, just no. Like I, yeah. as as much as I love and as good as Mane is. Sala has already surpassed. <laughs> yeah, you know all. You know Mane's two seasons. Combined. Yeah, not even. Not so even it, yeah, not so, even close. But but I think you can think about like what if you think about it in terms of like maybe not being a better player, but I don't even want to say a more complete player. But it's it's given Mane a chance to show maybe a different side of him this season, um, where he's not going to get as much of the fanfare, but he's still been incredibly important and. Not just as good as he was last year, but better, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think what's important to know about about Sadio in in particular is that he was that guy yeah. um, that was getting into the dangerous positions last year, where he was the the focus. He was the the danger man. He was the one scoring the goals. Um, and at the at the end of of the day. Uh, we still have a player who, on a a season where he's been criticized for being out of form, he's been criticized for, you know, not having that cutting edge. He has between you know he has between the the Premier League and the Champions League fourteen goals and eight assists, um, <laughs> as a as a winger, um, you know, and he and he's played everywhere you know he's played uh he's played on the left he can he can play on the right he's come on as a sub but his his uh impetus that he adds to the attack and that danger that he adds when him and Robertson can combine down that left hand side um yeah I mean it's absolutely ridiculous the threat that they that they give to and you know to the opposing defenses and in his particular case, in this season, we've seen him in a, in a much deeper position than we saw him last year, where it was, hey, get to the end line, get get in front of goal, um, and and cause problems because obviously Coutinho was sitting in that role behind him in midfield yeah. m- more often than not. Um, in this season, we we've seen him on the left, and we've seen him drop into what is what is. M- more or less a, a hybrid kind of 10. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's come much more central. Um, and, and we've seen it to the benefit of, of a lot of his teammates. So do you, <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's not really a question that I can ask off of, you know, obviously Mane's a very important player. Um, but do you want to see him continue in this role or, or do you think that this means that we need more creativity out of our midfield and we don't need to be dropping our left winger in, into <laughs> the 10? I think, yeah, I think it's the latter. I think we, it has been, especially if you think about that left side, Robertson's been incredible and I'm glad you gave him a shout out because that assist is what he's been providing since he came into the squad, you know, and it took him a couple of matches to gel, but I mean, that's just what he's been doing, and I'm, I'm glad that somebody's finally been on the end of it because that could be the danger of having a high-pressing false nine 
is that you might not always have somebody in the box to get on the end of that. But for, for Mane, I think as often as I've, I've kind of noticed that when I'm looking back at kind of the matches, whenever I see kind of Salah, as often as Salah may go in like central and have a, a heat map that places him maybe a little bit more centralized as a striker, Mane's just got just as many where he's, you know, not as far like up and to the left, but much more closer to that, you know, that 10 roll or even like almost overlapping with where Genie and Milner might play too. So, but it is still as good as he's been there. There has still been a part of me that's seen him have a reluctance to really attack that left side. Um, and maybe that just comes from being an inverted winger, right? I think you're going to be more apt to go off the dribble and attack on the right side. But then when you cut in, you might not be as effective with, with you know, creating or scoring chances. But maybe that's been the hesitancy. Maybe on the left, he's just he feels like let me drift into the right and, and kind of cut in so that I can create or get a get a better shooting opportunity. Um, so I don't know. It's either it's either the style of play that that has generated that, or maybe it's just his own comfort level too. But um, I don't know. Either way, I would li- I'd, I'd like to see. I've always said I think that's probably one of our biggest areas to to quickly upgrade is to get somebody more creative than like Wijnaldum in there. Um, so I'm excited to see that to see what to see if Mane can actually add that. Uh, I, I'm not even say add because his his goal scoring record is already what sir, including all games has already surpassed what he did last season. Yeah. So uh, I mean I don't know I think it just goes to. Uh, maybe that's what that tweet was all about really is that that that's what makes him maybe a complete player is that he is able to kind of come into a, a, a midfield role almost. Um, whereas Salah is, you know, comfortable moving up um, in a more attacking role too. But I mean, Mane, Mane can do it all. So there's, <laughs> whether it's midfield, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, coming off the wing. Uh, I mean, he's just incredible. Our front three are just, you know, you wouldn't trade him for any player in the world. So, as we as we move on to the to the last member of that that front three, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on him, only because we I I feel like I rave about him every every week, um, that we that we speak. But is the Bobby Dazzler the oddest nickname that you've ever actually latched onto <laughs> for for a player for Liverpool? Only because it fits Bob. Bobby so well, like with his metal, he's the man wears uh, like literally metal ties. So Dazzler, <laughs> Dazzler fits for me and I've, I've been running with it since I first heard it. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it was Martin Tyler who we have previously kind of attacked, I would say, um, for his anti Liverpool bias seemingly, but he, uh, yeah. hit, he uh, did provide one of one of the best nicknames, um, and that was the Bobby Dazzler was provided in the uh, was that the city game that he? I think it was because I with noticed the chip. I noticed. All right, go for it. So yeah, with Tyler commentating the city match, what I noticed is he must have heard the rumblings on social media about his, let's just say, commentary enthusiasm whenever he's 
doing Liverpool goals. So I think there was a <laughs> concentrated effort on Tyler's part to make a bigger deal out of some of those Liverpool goals. It also didn't help him, though, that they were playing City. So that just kind of fueled, oh, he just, you know, he hates City because he's a United guy. But anyway, uh, no, yeah. So it, it seemed, even though it was maybe a little bit forced by Tyler to make up for his woeful commentary prior to that, it, I don't know, like we said, it just fits Bobby. It just fits him so well that you can't help but love it. It really does. And that, I, I, I think all we can say about about Bobby this season is that he's been the dazzler. He's been the guy who's been creating the the skills. He's been the guy creating creating those chances and then he's been scoring some some absolutely delightful goals in the case of that chip against City uh or in this last game against Watford a you know flicked back heel um type goal that off a of Mohamed Salah assist that just is, you know, unheard of um, uh, across the rest of the league. So I I think if there's any, you know, if there's any, I just, for me personally, Firmino is, is the player that, that if he were to leave, it would just absolutely shatter me. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I hope that he's uh, on the end of a new deal here shortly. I think I think they'll wait till the end of the season to actually announce anything. Um, yeah, but I I would wouldn't be shocked uh, if they put him on just absurd wages for the for the rest of his time. Um, it, in his it's prime. the only reason I haven't purchased a or gotten Firmino on the back of a kit is because I I know my my track record with those and I don't want to. I, I made the I made the conscious decision. I was like, okay, as much as I love Mane, Firmino is like he's it's almost like larger than life what he's been this season. Number one, because not just we always known like what what type of player he can be, but just the fact that he's added not just his goals, but the dude is scoring no look goals. Like who like who does that? Like who <laughs> what who does that? I mean he's wearing we said oh, he's wearing metal ties, so he's like this. I don't. He, he's not like nobody's putting him on his like. He's not like this global celebrity, but he kind of acts like it, and he is. I think to almost like Liverpool fans because he's such like he just has this larger than life feeling. But it's it's so likable. Like if Lingard goes out there and scores a no look goal, I'm gonna hate everything about him and everything that he stands for. But with with our front three, like you've got Salah, who's just an incredible story, like we said. You've got Firmino that's, you know, popping his shirt off. He's doing no-look goals. You know, he's doing ridiculous celebrations. But it's all, it's all like, lovable. And add to the fact that Mane is coming in, not only stealing his celebrations, but then posting, like, oh, no, Firmino steals them from me. Like, it... <laughs> It's by far just the funnest, the funnest like attacking trio you could imagine, right? Maybe yeah. in terms of quality, you know, you you might say like Suarez, Messi, Coutinho, you know, any of that three. But just in terms of the type of players that they are and their personalities, I don't know. I think that's that's kind of what we cling to as well, with maybe some hope that that these players are, are different a little bit because that is. 
that is a big concern for us are, you know, once a player gets too big, then, you know, he's going to fuck off to City or, you know, or, or, or Chelsea or anything like that. So uh, I don't know. I think these players just have like such such a positive vibe to them. I think that's why we we gravitate towards them so much. And the fact that their performances have matched their <laughs> their on and off the field antics, I'll say, just just kind of adds to it. So I don't know. It's it's a very lucky time to to enjoy that that trio that we have it it really is and i think it has something to do with with klopp as well um so i think klopp values the character of of his players as well as the quality um based on the type of player that he was in his time at at mainz um you know kind of a, a a one club man um in in his time there as a player and I I think he he sees the attitude as important as well and so he's recruited these these players specifically uh not only for their ability but for their for their character and I know that's odd to say in the the predator or the successor to Brendan Rodgers <laughs> with the amount that character was thrown around but uh but these these players do seem to show it, and and even something as silly as as the video that Sala was in for LFC TV, uh, with the school kids doing the alternate commentary for his goals, and then him bursting <laughs> out of a poster, uh, it, it it is stuff like that that it that does kind of signal that hey maybe maybe we have some players who are who are different from the you know modern football that we so often see, uh, especially even players who have who have left. Liverpool recently like the Sterlings or or those who kind of treat it as as purely a business um Salah and and Mane and Firmino just seem to have fun every time they're playing and and so it's a, it's been an absolute joy to watch I, I think it's important to mention that Salah is three goals literally three goals away from matching the record that is shared currently by Alan Shearer, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Luis Suarez for most goals in a Premier League season <laughs> with eight matches to be played. Um, yeah. It's absolutely absurd that he that he's that close to the record um, as a winger because uh, obviously Shearer, a, number, a pure number nine, Suarez played centrally for Liverpool the whole season uh Ronaldo could be seen as as kind of the anomaly there I guess um as a wide player but obviously he everything went through him uh at that time at United so uh I think what is strange is with the with the how prolific that front three has been Salah is close to being a record breaker and I'd be shocked if he doesn't doesn't break the record and and by some margin um, I think the only way that that happens is knock on every piece of wood around here um, is if he is if he's injured. Um, but we'll we'll move on swiftly from that. So so with the, with this exciting team that that we do have, and I'd say with a few players in the pipeline that we that we look forward to as well with the the Ben Woodburns and the even the those on loan now the Marco Groyiches and and the like uh this week we had the u.s tour announced for liverpool it's it's become kind of a every two years 
uh, kind of event, it seems, uh, between the U.S. and Southeast Asia for um, for tours for LFC. So the tour was announced, and we've got Nashville, New Jersey, and Michigan as the three locations where, where Liverpool are going to turn up and play. Um, first of all, uh, I know we had a discussion on Twitter uh, along with your, your brother about where of the three locations is worth visiting. I think there's only one answer, but uh, is there any particular reason that you'd want to go back to Nashville? I, I'm blacking out just thinking about it. So yeah, I, I of course tweeted about what I what I didn't add in the tweet is that so I was there in Nashville. This was the last time. A couple of my buddies lived there, uh, and we were having a bachelor party as you do. Yeah. And so my parents took this opportunity. Their their eldest son was Nashville's maybe I don't know two two to three hours outside of uh, where they live in Indiana. And so they're like, oh, we'll come, we'll come see our eldest for a little bit of time. And it was like Saturday morning, they showed up and they were like, oh, do you want to go get some food? I was like, no, because, <laughs> you know, I would uh, throw everything up right then. So I'll like, oh, let's go get some ice cream. I was like, all right, I'll go get, I'll go get some ice cream. So I'm sitting in this ice cream parlor off Broadway in Nashville. And ice cream normally I can down, like it settles, settles the stomach a little bit after a long night. But no, uh, like as soon as I walked in there, it all came up. And then after I ate the ice cream, it went right back out. So uh, <laughs> then my dad, being the musician that he is, wanted to go to a couple bars. So I struggled down like some Bud Lights or Budweiser's or something like that. So um, it's a miserable place, but I've had some absolutely incredible time there. So no, Nashville's a, Nashville's a great city. That would definitely be the one to, I think, to visit. What is it? Do we play City? At Yankee Stadium, uh, I I think it's going to end up being at MetLife in in New Jersey. Oh God, never yeah, mind then. Um, exactly. I was going to say I love a trip to New York, and they've got easy flights from Mexico City. But uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind us uh, coordinating a Nashville visit to see the Reds in uh, stateside. Yeah, that would. I mean, it would be fantastic. I, I mean, the only the only time I've seen. I've seen Liverpool lives to my, to my eternal regret is, is in Chicago. Um, it was, uh, against Olympiacos and it was an absolutely great time. Raheem Sterling scored the only goal. Sadly, <laughs> um, I guess I'll, I'll say though, for the fans, maybe tuning in that may, may travel from out of the, out of the country, if they want to see a match or something like that, as big as New York is probably the biggest draw, to go there. I think the biggest kind of event will be in Michigan against United. I think that'll get the most press. Yeah. But the most fun that you will have, if you want like a night out or anything like that, definitely go to Nashville. It'll be 100%. cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, but it's just a super cool, super cool city. Um, and though there will be a ridiculous amount of alcohol and bachelorette parties, it's gotta be like, Ground zero for bachelorette parties, like per capita, <laughs> the amount of like bachelorette parties per person in that city is it's ridiculous, too. So if you're uh, coming in from outside of the States, I, I would suggest Nashville. Yeah, Nashville will be will be a blast for sure. Uh, I would say, a, uh, you know, get get off of Broadway 
um, as much as you can. That's that's where all the tourists are at, but it's definitely not where all the all the great. I mean, there's some great spots on Broadway. Don't get me wrong, but and there there's some great fun to be had there. But uh, I would say explore the rest of Nashville as well if you want to escape the the tourists a little bit. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna. <clears throat> Respectfully disagree with Baki on this one. If you're coming in, and if you want, uh, again, the bachelorette parties are going to be on Broadway. So that's probably, depends on what experience you want, right? If you want the, you know, some breweries or some nice little brunch spots, uh, Broadway is not going to be the place for you. But if you want like just a debaucherous experience, uh, definitely, definitely hit up Broadway. Yeah, I mean it, it it's kind of like Austin. It's it, it's like Austin in many ways. If, yeah, if yeah. you if you want the uh the typical kind of Austin experience, hit 6th Street on a weekend and uh and just absolutely get blind drunk um you know, Jaeger bombs, etc. and uh drink whiskey till it's coming out your ears. Ooh. And uh, and and hang out with all of the college kids who are who are drinking underage, um, <laughs> and, and that's more or less what what Broadway is. But you know, if if you're looking for the, I would say prototypical experience, that that is the way to go. Um, I think we need to we need to cultivate this and share it with Twitter. So the Two Red Gringos Guide to the LFC Summer Tour, and we'll give them our. Maybe we'll make like a little Google map or something and we'll have like Baki's, Baki's hipster spots. Right. And then Staley's like douchebag spots. So whatever whatever experience you want (laughs) from whether it's Nashville, I don't think I can provide anything for Michigan. No, I I, I can't either. We're pretty savvy with with New York and and Nashville to make some pretty good recommendations. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If you're, if you're looking hipster, go East Nashville and, uh, and you won't have any problems hipster in New York. Well, you'll be coming from New Jersey, so you're going to have to <laughs> battle through that. But, um, no, I, I, I think the one, the one disappointment that I do have, uh, across, across this U S tour, and it's not, it, it's purely selfish, um, is the idea that, that Liverpool either aren't going through Chicago and aren't going through Texas, uh, yeah. in, in their, in their time, uh, in the states, I I think they get a a fairly wide uh, variety by going to you know Nashville in the south, New York out east, and then Michigan in in kind of the Midwest. But but they definitely uh, they definitely miss quite a a hefty part of of the Liverpool supporters groups here stateside um, by by skipping either Texas or California. Um, and make things a little harder on on us uh <laughs> us Liverpool fans, us Reds who are who are stranded away from the uh the you know major major population centers of of the US. Yeah, a little bit tougher to get to those areas, but especially I think when I think of similar cities for Liverpool, I think Chicago, I think Boston as <clears throat> kind of like go-to cities like that kind of represent those you know, the, the values of, of Liverpool. So I'm always a little bit disappointed when those, when those don't pop up, but no, just having, you know, having them here and being able to go visit, uh, 
is just one step, I think, maybe a little bit closer to the real thing and uh, seeing him in Anfield. Yeah, absolutely. Which is still something I think we both have in the works in the in the back of our minds, something that we're trying yeah. to push for. And uh, hopefully you'll see in the not so distant future um, when the when the Gringos unite at Anfield, that would be uh, just yeah. Could we record a pod live? No, that that would be like full on wool. Yeah, we do the the filming ourselves, the- our own reaction <laughs> to what's happening. <laughs> if, we ever, too, if we ever, if we ever post with like an iPad, so you just. If- <laughs> If we ever post that on our YouTube, please, whoever's listening, just come come end it for both of us. <laughs> um, no, so I, I think uh, with this U.S. tour, it does obviously give give Liverpool some, some exposure to some areas uh, that haven't had it in the last few years, uh, New York being a little bit of an exception. But the, the game in Michigan has a potential to be, with it being at the big house in, in Ann Arbor, 110,000 capacity has the potential to be just an absolutely crazy spectacle. So yeah. anyone who's in the Midwest should probably make their way out there to the big house. Cause that'll be, that'll be just absolutely nuts. And um, obviously they didn't book city for right. that game because we know it would be, <laughs> <laughs> they'd struggle to sell the tickets. Well, yeah. Yeah. The big house would, would shrink, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to meet the, the standards of the empty head. Um, there will be a lot of a lot of uh, of nonsense going back and forth between us and City as the uh, as the the Champions League grows closer. But I will yeah. I will say the the fact that we didn't talk about it, uh, but the the fact that the pre match has has City so worried at Anfield, it's it's great. And then the idea that the the Etihad isn't sold out for the second leg <laughs> it, it is just hilarious. Um, but, uh, but no, the, the U S tour this, this summer, it, it, it's been a good spectacle, I think, um, for the club the last, the last few years. And, um, it's a great opportunity for some of these, some of these supporters groups that wake up early in the morning and, yeah. and go and watch, go and watch games. It's not rewarding the West coast maybe as much as they deserve, uh, for some of the four thirty starts like they have this weekend. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the uh the Phoenix OLSC and all the California guys too because oh for I mean I'm still on mountain right now until if the game was maybe a day later <laughs> it would be on central time <laughs> but we're still on mountain until April 1st so uh but still 530 530's <laughs> doable 430 god god bless those out on the yeah. uh, west coast and pacific time. Yeah, specifically those those guys out in uh I think San Francisco, we have a we have quite a few uh, people we know out there. Um, so, San Francisco, let's see, keep doing your thing in those early morning starts. Um, so, as we as we close out, I think I think it's only fitting for me to put you on the spot. We've got Palace tomorrow morning, bright and early. Uh, one, will you be awake? But part two is who you got. What's the score? And uh, and who are your goal scorers? Well, like I said, I like number one. Of course, of course, we'll be awake for that. Um, I think luckily I got it all out of my system last night because I think we got back around like four four thirty. So if what happened last night happened tonight, 
you know, you just have to stick with it, and not even go to bed until right. after the match is over. With. Yeah, of course. But but yeah, I'll be I'll be tuning in. Um, shout out to everybody going up against uh, NBC Sports uh, in in their partnership with the Sun. So we won't be tuning in. Obviously, that I'll be looking at. Let's just say following along with Reddit and the resources that Reddit provides to uh, to watch the game tomorrow. Completely completely forgot to uh, to shout that out. So. Hashtag Sunset NBC, um, and and at Sunset NBC, the uh, just the nonsense that's been going on. We 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 probably owe a little bit more of a uh, segment to them uh, in the future, but doing the doing the right thing and just pushing for the sun to be taken off of NBC's coverage of of uh, the Premier League because it's just absurd that a publication like that is getting any type of publicity outside of their own um outside of their own kind of sphere of influence uh which is is shrinking uh you know constantly they're not not even allowed in in anfield or or goodison um so you have to uh take what they say with a grain of salt because most of the most of the clubs uh in the premier league won't even deal with them so uh i think uh, what I think LFC New York has been pushing a lot, uh, or maybe the most, uh, for for what is going on with Sunset NBC, but it is important because it's it's not a uh, it's not an attack on a on a specific newspaper for for no reason, but it's an attack on a on a newspaper that provides just pure hate and bigotry um, throughout its publication. So. Um, NBCSN supporting that is just absolutely absurd, and uh, and and so that push for for pushing them off of that platform and and not giving them the airtime is is important, um, regardless of what you you know your impact your personal impact of of Hillsborough or or other incidents, um, the uh, the sun is just trash. Just pure it's rancid. Trash. Just rancid. Absolutely rancid. Um, and uh, yeah, so so shout out to those groups that have been supporting that movement. Um, so we'll be streaming. <laughs> but you know, in terms in terms of the match itself, we we've talked about how much we've enjoyed. I think our away form, especially against maybe some of the lower sides this season. So I'm feeling good. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three. I'm gonna give it a three nil. Clean sheets, clean sheets for Van Dyke and company. Hopefully, Klein's back to contribute. But no, we'll put the we'll put the front three on the scoreboard. Each each bag and a goal. Okay, okay. Um, I think uh, so. I think I think three nothing. That's that's pretty good. I'll, so I'll go. I'll go for your for your favorite score line. I'll go for Ooh. for a two a two nothing. We've been um, spoiled with those this season. We've well, at least, at least the <laughs> these last couple of months. Month yeah. Or so, yeah. Uh, no, we'll uh, we'll go with the two nothing, but it'll be uh, it'll be it'll be Mo because Mo always Has scores. Uh, I feel kind of foolish even saying that it'll be two because if Mo scores one, he's probably scoring more than one. But um, but no, Mo will get one, and then uh, Van Dyke will keep up his scoring form that he had for for the Netherlands, 
and uh, he'll 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 bag one for for the Reds um, at Selhurst Park, and um, hopefully it's a you know failed uh, a failed mark on a corner, and and Benteke loses Van Dyke <laughs> in the area, and and uh, and Van Dyke heads home. So yeah, I'm going for. I I think the important thing is that at the end of the day, I don't think either of us can see. Well, not can see because that's definitely setting us up. But I I think this is a a match that Liverpool should be winning fairly comfortably, um, kind of regardless of who they put out there. Yeah, I mean, but that that's been kind of our story the past few seasons are the matches <laughs> that we should be winning are the struggles. But like I said, I've been I think our form against some of the lesser sides. That's just the Premier League for you, you know? And any side can pick up a result, so you can't take it for granted. But, no, I, I've been impressed with our form, maybe Swansea aside. Um, but they were just kind of hitting hitting a stride whenever we faced them. So I like our away form. And, you know, Klopp's going to roll out the strongest team. So I don't think, yeah, like you said, there shouldn't be any reason why we don't pick up the desired result. Yeah. And if, if Van Dyke does score that, all I can think of is, like, that Antonio Banderas. It's like my favorite gift where he's just like, <laughs> So at the computer, and then he's just like, oh, it's, the sweet, it's the sweetest thing in the world. So uh, you that, all, that's what I'll be doing following along on the street. <laughs> you, all, you all definitely know what, uh, what we're talking about with, with that gift. But, um, no, I, I, think, uh, I think we're looking at a win, at a win tomorrow. Um, hopefully we'll, Liverpool will make it worth everyone's while with an early kickoff. Uh, especially those out on the West Coast or still waiting for daylight savings time down in Mexico. So, <laughs> um, so with that, uh, obviously we're we're reaching the end of the episode. If if you guys have enjoyed uh, what you what you've heard, then you're insane uh, for a number of reasons. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll also like uh, what you'll hear over at at tworegringos.com. Um, we've got our Twitter account at two red gringos. Uh, and then we've got our accounts, uh, at Baki Balboa and at gringo CDMX. Um, the, uh, <laughs> both of which you'll find, uh, absurdity at more often than not, but, um, but yeah, check us out mainly on our website. Um, and you'll find the, uh, you'll find the new, new episodes when they get posted, um, and, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for those who haven't been aware, we opened and we'll close this episode with some old school Kanye in honor of Kanye madness, which was a <laughs> online tournament that we'll talk more about <laughs> in the future, but I've got some old Kanye really underrated jam. By oh. the way, it has not is not kept the uh, the fanfare that it should have Absolutely. through the wire. This is a incredible song, um, but if you're into this type of Kanye, then you're probably going to enjoy the two Red Gringos as well. Uh, <laughs> um, no, the uh, yeah, check us out at two Red Gringos, two Red Gringos dot com, and uh, that'll pretty much do it for this for this edition. Uh, probably went a little long, but uh, I've had fun. That's I think Pat has had fun. Quantity and quality. 
so uh so with that this has been the two red gringos and uh for patrick saley this is phil baki adios adios before the deal, she been trying to be mine. She a Delta, so she been throwing that dynasty sign. No use me trying to be lying. I've been trying to be signed. Trying to be a millionaire. How I used two lifelines. In the same hospital with Biggie Smalls died. The doctor said I had blood clots, but I ain't Jamaican, man. Story on MTV, and I ain't trying to make a band. I swear this right here, history in the making, man. I really apologize to everyone right now. If it's unclear at all, man. They got my mouth wired shut for like, I don't know, the doctor said like six weeks. You know, he had reconstruction, I had reconstruction surgery on my jaw. I looked in the mirror, half of my jaw was in the back of my mouth, man. I couldn't believe it. And I'm still here for y'all right now, man. This is what I got to say right here, though. Yeah. Turn me up, yeah. Oh. What if somebody from the shadow was ill Got a deal on the hottest rap label of brand But he wasn't talking about coke and birds It was more like spoken words I just, I just saw all the notifications And I saw you just, <laughs> just beat down our, our Canadian brother About putting on the, uh, the Toronto FC match Yeah, that, that's going to be a no for us, dog <laughs> We're not even tuned into the U.S. men's national team. We're not watching some. Is it preseason? Is MLS, MLS is started, right? These are like normal, like everybody else, like went These on are international real break, yeah. and MLS is like, nah, we'll just keep going. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, and I'm not turning on any game that has Real Salt Lake involved. Let's be real. Just that. Oh, we should have given a shout to your to your El Paso. Dude, International International El Paso is that that's a hot one right there. That one's good. That yeah. one was good. Dude, I think it's legit because the idea of linking up with what what is already going on in FC Juarez and and yeah. in Juarez, like I think that I don't know. I think that's I think that's big. So yeah, I, I was cool corrected in my on, except I don't oh. know if I can wear my Tucson FC shirt. During that, because Tucson FC is now affiliated with what Phoenix Rising or whatever, so I guess uh, that'll yeah. be a. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can make that like the I ten rivalry in the USL. <laughs> I like that little debate on Twitter about what was it like El Tráfico or something like Dude. you know the 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 namings for rivalries and all Dude, that. Dude, so I jokingly tweeted out a while ago. So the team around me, Round Rock SC, is uh, there's another team up in Waco. That's along yeah. I-35 that basically runs from, I mean, in Texas, it runs from, you know, North Texas all the way down to God knows where. But, I mean, basically between Austin and Waco, there's just construction. Yeah. And so I had said back in February that El Trafico would be any game between FC Waco and, uh, and Round Rock. So as you a, coined the term as a joke, and and so I I tweeted it back out and said this happened on February twenty seventh, like who's got an El Trafico tweet between LAFC and, and <laughs> LA Galaxy before that? But Prior. I was like, I'll concede it. I know I, I'm not going to win this fight, but yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, but the t- the the <laughs> the rivalry now between FC Waco and Round Rock SC will be known as the Construction Derby. <laughs> Which is a <laughs> destruction derby reference. 
Um, which destruction derbies, uh, I don't think they happen often enough. Like, have you been to a des- destruction derby? Because I haven't. No, who who has? No, but I'm saying like two just cars crashing into each other. Like, where where's that at? The only time I've ever seen that happen is in Too Fast, Too Furious <laughs> with one with one Roman Roman Pierce <laughs> doing that in in Barstow. Um, right. So maybe in Barstow, California, they still happen. But aside from that, no, just only in Too Fast, Too Furious. Dude, have you been to Barstow? No, no. What? What I've am I to, ever going to be? I've in Barstow? been to Barstow three what? times. What? <laughs> what? What is that? Is that like? Were, were you stationed out there? Was there three times? No. So how have you uh, been to Barstow three times? Yeah, None Fort, of that makes sense. Fort Irwin, California, is uh, right outside of Barstow, and it is. Uh, where the National Training Center is. I've been there three times now. I mean, all I think is that Destruction Derby and, and Roman Pierce just yeah knocking into cars. Yeah, Barstow is, uh, according to someone who is from there, the meth capital of the world. I spent a lot of time in New Mexico, so I'm not... <laughs> I'm going to debate that. I'm going to debate that claim. Fiercely. So even Barstow, they can't even get that right. Even their claim to fame of meth is, no. is inaccurate. Yeah, so. it's, no, it's total bullshit, yeah. Because Albuquerque owns that, clearly. Oh, yeah, without and a doubt. They didn't make Breaking, breaking Bad about... And and the surrounding communities, also pretty vile. Oh, yeah. They didn't make Breaking Bad about Barstow. No. So, I mean... Again, too fast, too furious. Yeah, exactly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've still been recording all of this, and it's getting posted, so... Yeah, only on the two Red Gringos can you get Barstow... This amount of bonus content is just... <laughs> on on PlayStation Store, they charge you an extra 30 bucks for this. Yeah, this is an extension right here. <laughs> this is DLC. This is, this is episode 8 right now, <laughs> where we talk Barstow, Meth, Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, if, only. if only. If <laughs> only. All right, well, there's no reason to have a formal outro at this point, so... Just let Kanye take it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, dude. See you, man. See you.